Brought to you by Make Fun Network. Disclaimer. Please do not email us about the historical inaccuracies we are sure to make. We are not historians. We are idiots. And welcome to Anachronismo. I'm Max. I'm Jackie. I'm Noel. And uh, Jackie and I are both sick tonight. We might just be doing one story, maybe two. Noel, what story are you bringing in? I'm going to be talking about some of the super fun details of the most agonizing film production in history, which was the filming of Apocalypse Now in Mm the 70s. Mm Mm-hmm. And if I do my story, and if I don't, I'm just going to edit this part out. I have some fun little tidbits that didn't amount to a story, but the journey of finding the tidbits was amusing. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if anyone has ever seen the movie Apocalypse now. I actually have not. I know Mm -hmm. a lot about it. And uh, when I was uh, desperately casting around for a story today, I remembered something, uh, a movie, a documentary about the filming of Apocalypse Yeah, now. Heart of Darkness. Yeah, I, yeah, named for the uh, the Joseph Conrad short that, story, yeah. Yep. Max, take it away. <laughs> <laughs> take it away, Max. Oh. Uh, no, so uh, I remember having watched this movie and uh, when I was like searching around for just like, man, what are some really bad fiascos that have happened that are like really lighthearted kind of, you know, no, no deaths involved that were not caused by the people in the story. Well, more on that later. Uh, and I came back around to uh, Apocalypse Now. So if no one has seen the movie, this I not anticipate there being spoilers. The movie is, however, uh, 40 years old. So um, if anything lets slip, it's on you. Um, but a little bit of backstory, if you have never read Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad, how this fits in, that Joseph Conrad, Heart of Darkness is this uh, novella about exploration around the Congo and British colonization of that area. And it's just supposed to be, from what I remember, it's kind of like an anti-civilization sentiment. Like there's this uh, just really smart, sharp, astute English merchant or trader who just the exposure to uh the jungle and the native tribes in the congo area just kind of puts him into this state of just madness or this state of just uh almost being revered as a god just being just a very you know common average man who's just taken out of civilization and as they knew it and put into a new context and how it just changes his identity and it follows through to the main character. I'm sure there are a lot of English majors out there who are like, no, you missed the point. But that's that's the basic plot point. Um, and they had tried to adapt the uh, Heart of Darkness into a movie several times uh, prior to the uh, 70s. And they had not really had any luck with it. But It's probably because you need some cool special effects. If I'm remembering the novella correctly, there's like metal boats and cannons maybe at some point it's a lot of jungle mm. yeah i i remember 
just very, very few specifics about the book. It's been a long time <laughs> yeah. since I've read it. This screenwriter, up-and-coming screenwriter named John Milius, was given a challenge by one of his school professors of saying, no one has successfully adapted Heart of Darkness into a movie with the implication that even though it's primed for it, even though it's like a very, it's something that it's simplistic enough in its nature that it could be adapted to a film. This is, I believe, in 1969, and Milius takes up this challenge and decides that he is going to alter the setting and make it about the then current Vietnam War. And all of the thematic idea of just being from the civilization that gets cut off and it gets put into this totally new world and how uh, people just, you know, some people are able to handle it, but other people just kind of lose their sense of identity or they create a new identity around this totally unexpected world that they could never have been prepared for. This is just me kind of covering my my butt from the English lit majors. Who will be pounding on the door saying, hang him! Hang him by his dangling participles! Um, <laughs> I mean, that sounded legit to me. Yeah, yeah. I, I almost mm. believe in myself. I'm no English major. Yeah. yeah. So just as an aside, if you could read... I, I'm thinking of... Um, Macbeth, because Lion King is like the famous reimagining of Macbeth. Yeah. Of Macbeth. Yeah. Would you put Macbeth in the Vietnam War? No, probably. Or maybe people have put Macbeth all over the place. Do you have uh, a there's favorite? a version of Macbeth. I don't know if I. I don't know if I have a favorite version of Macbeth, but I have. There's a version where they people have taken Macbeth and put it into a fast food restaurant, hmm. where it's all about uh, you know the inheritance of a greasy spoon diner. Yeah. Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Um, Isn't it Hamlet that it's based off of? No, no, Macbeth. That one's Macbeth. For Lion King? Um, or maybe it is Hamlet. Where they yeah. kill Lion the King uncle, is Hamlet, the yeah. Uncle yeah. Oh, sorry. Brother. Mixed it up. Yep, you're right. It's yeah. Hamlet. Yeah. Hamlet! Okay. <laughs> Just checking. I watched a Mystery Science Theater 3000 recently with my mom, uh, and I, it was like on a Shakespeare plan. I was like, I don't think it was Macbeth. But I, I recognized all the the familiar beats from uh from Lion King in it, and I was like, no, it wasn't Macbeth. It was something else. I think my favorite reimagining of Macbeth is though Throne of Blood by Akira Toriyama, uh, which puts Macbeth in uh, feudal Japan, and there's a th- a scene at the end of it where the Macbeth replacement character, you know, his his castle's under attack and everything's crumbling around him, and he's shot by like 50 arrows right into his body and dies after stumbling into the throne room. And the way that they filmed that scene was they put some wooden planks on him and had master archers fire arrows into the wooden planks. And there, you know, the way that they made sure he wouldn't die was they just had real good archers. So that that, that, that panic on his... Real good insurance policies. mm, That panic on his face, that fear... That's real. Yeah. Oh my god! You can only act so much. Wait, uh, Jackie, what was your question? Akira on the... Toriyama also like poisoned a lake by a nearby town because he put ink in all of it so he could use it for rain during a scene. Oh, but that's a different movie. This guy know. sounds crazy. Yeah. He made some great movies. But at what they price? can both be true. <laughs> uh, Jackie, what We're was not your crazy. question on reckless? On uh... I'm go with reckless over crazy. I would agree oh, with that. What was your hypothetical? Oh, it was more like if you could um, 
reenact, I guess, Hamlet in this case in any time period, or I guess Heart of Darkness in any time period, which would you pick? I think it'd be kind of cool to have a um, sort of opposite, but like a, a renaissance one where they just can't find their identity in this new world where new ideas are taking hold. Oh, I like that. So oh. instead of being like lost in a quote unquote, like primitive and wild area, it's that you don't know where you fall in a... He's strapped into an aerial screw and takes to the skies. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Bathing himself with the new indoor plumbing. <laughs> I don't think, yeah, how to even come even close to that. That's a really, really good idea. <laughs> I would like to see Heart of Darkness, Lion King. <laughs> I would like to, wait, you know what? I'm gonna, I want to see Heart of Darkness, but with like raccoons when they first kind of move from like heavy woodland areas to just like giant garbage cans and dumpsters oh, that's oh the my movie god Pompoco. i love that wait sorry what? that's the movie pompoco pompoco well Is that, uh, technically it's language? like a three-hour animated film about like a two-hour animated film about like humans uh destroying like tanukis like environment and the tanukis um. using their magical powers <laughs> to fight back i believe that was stolen from a little movie called Over the Hedge from 2000, circa 2007. And, yeah, and that was stolen from a comic strip called Over the Hedge, circa 1990 through 2007. Man, everything's stolen. I think that was a different one. No, the comic strip is a newspaper comic, and Over the Hedge, the movie, is... Based you, on that? It uses the same characters. Oh. It's by the same guy. I'm, oh, okay. Well, he's I'm mixing up stolen. Over the Hedge with Nomeo and Julia. <laughs> Both fine movies. Both fine. <laughs> Came movies. out around the same time. Sure, yeah. The imagery was very similar. But that uh, that would be my adaptation. Just yeah. raccoons being like, oh my god, I can't handle this. I like that idea a you lot. You ate our babies. The darkness. <laughs> the darkness. <laughs> so tell us more about the actual thing that you're trying to talk about. Or what about Hamlet with <laughs> pigs? Oh, they they had to have done no, that. They'd before. call that. They'd call that manlet. Porklet? Well, it's called already Hamlet. That's why it has to be porklet. Uh, no, because the ox uh, is with people and called Hamlet. No, we don't want to rip it off entirely. We have to change it a little bit. <laughs> the other white meat lit. Long what, Hamlet. What about beeflet? And we make it... It's it's pigs, but the actual play is called Beeflet, so there's no there's no Hamlet piece to it. How about it's the, called about chickens? It's called Chicklet. Tell us more about Heart of Darkness, please. Okay, <laughs> but the All play right. within the play can be about cows. I, Max, I don't know why you're giving me this accusatory stare as like, hey, get back on track. No. Oh, this was all me. I'm sorry, listeners. <laughs> um, the rare Jackie Derail. <laughs> so Francis Coppola, the director of The Godfather, Godfather Part Two, and other famous movies of the era, really likes this adaptation of heart of darkness i think because of the timing he doesn't actually want to film it himself he wants to produce it because he's obviously just focused on this first trilogy that's taking up all of his time so he first tries to get the film directed by a little figure called george lucas prior to any star wars work so they have this young george lucas up and coming no CGI available to destroy anything. And uh, 
The original plan was that they were planning on filming this movie in Vietnam while the Vietnam War was still going on. Oh, no. And it got turned down because like everyone was like no no one's gonna fund this because this is uh this is insane they were they were actually just planning on trying it's the cheapest special effects there is or if you look at another way the most expensive well i mean i think to the their way of thinking that there was already military equipment there that they would want to use in that adaptation there were already soldiers there that they could use I, i don't know if the intention was that they would be the lead actors or just like background characters to establish the atmosphere but this was insane. Like, while the Vietnam War was going on, they were going to try to be filming a movie about... A real Tropic Thunder situation. Yeah. 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 Fucked up. Also, the idea of George Lucas doing it makes me think about his legendary collaborations with the Jim Henson Creature Studio. And makes me think about Heart of Darkness with Kermit the Frog. Ah, the horror! The horror! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like that scene with Martin Sheen just like really drunk it off of his mind at the start of the movie. Just says, I want. It's just Kermit flopping over. But could you imagine if they had actually like sneakily filmed it during the war? That would have been crazy. With Kermit the Frog. With Kermit the Frog, too. Oh, that would have been such an interesting, like, I don't want to say guerrilla style shooting, but. Because they would get shot by gorillas, yeah. 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 It's a little too on the nose. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like that's a term for- Yeah, no, that's a term. In film. Absolutely, absolutely. That would have been interesting. But it's also a term for warfare. (laughs) I know. That's why I didn't want to use it. Because I wasn't trying to make a pun about it. (laughs) (laughs) The best puns are the unintentional ones, Jackie. Yeah, so this first proposition of filming the movie does not take off for some reason. And so it goes into this- quagmire pretty much for about five or six years a lot like the vietnam war Mm -hmm. Uh, symbolism go on uh or parallelism Mm -hmm. so coppola still super interested in making this film but he you know has just directed godfather 2 at this point uh george lucas is focusing on star wars after having done i think american graffiti and so coppola says okay I'm going to, uh, this movie needs to be made. It's going to be so influential. And so he takes it up that he is going to direct himself. So he takes a script and I believe by now, yeah, 1976, yeah, Vietnam's war has been over for two or three years, I think, at this point. Thereabouts. So Coppola is able to get a filming location in the Philippines and actually makes friends with some high up political figure. I don't want to say the mayor of the Philippines because I don't think I, I don't know what they're governing. I don't know if it was the city or the a government higher level, like government or presidential person that he kind of gained influence with that were like, hey, yeah, you can borrow our military equipment for uh, scenes that you're shooting. So Capola starts to do the casting. Now, the original plan is that this is going to be about uh, 16 or 17 weeks of shooting. And about a uh, somewhere between a twelve to fourteen million dollar budget. I feel like this movie is one of those things where I know things that reference it, but I don't know it. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. osmosed into the cultural sphere. It's got the oh my I, god, what a fucking sentence I said. Yeah, people fucking <laughs> reference it all the time. Yeah, like the I love the smell of napalm in the morning and the Didn't horror, the horror uh, are are the two. I recently read a book called I think it was called the the dissident. And it had like whole chapters parodying this, the production of this movie. Mm-hmm. 
It was interesting. But that's uh, also a fictional book, so like nothing... The TV show Community had an episode that was just a parody of uh, of the documentary Heart of Darkness. Huh. But about instead they were of making this movie, they were making a commercial for the college. <laughs> it was very, it's a very good episode. It's very funny. <laughs> so Coppola gets into trying to cast for this movie, and almost all the actors that they approach, and these are people... Uh, Al Pacino, Clint Eastwood, Robert Redford, Jack Nicholson all get approached for this being a lead in this movie. And most of them turn it down because they're like, no, this they didn't want to be outside of the U.S. like filming a movie, which seems like crazy kind of looking at it. It was like the original proposition is like four months in the kind of like just maybe they want. Tropical climate diseases. Well, that's actually why some of them turned it down. Uh, I think Al Pacino had turned it down because he had gotten uh, sick in filming one of the like foreign location uh, sites for Godfather 2. Yeah. <laughs> and then other, uh, I think Clint Eastwood and, and someone else had turned it down because they were just like, oh, I don't want to be out here for this long, just filming a movie. And I'm <laughs> like, oh, man, it's four months. Who ended up film- starring in it? So that was... That was the cause of one of the first delays, ah. is that the main character was supposed to be played by Harvey Keitel from a lot of the Quentin Tarantino movies. He shows up in all of them, uh, pretty much, I think. And two weeks into filming, they realize they don't really like his take on the character. So they scrap him, and they get oh. Martin Sheen to be the lead. Mm. And other such famous actors that appeared in this movie, but are not really of the main focus, included... Lawrence Fishburne, Robert Duvall, Harrison Ford. But the main people of interest in this are Martin Sheen, Dennis Hopper from Super Mario Brothers, the movie. Oh, I like that movie. And uh, how? <laughs> I watched it a lot as a kid. Oh, okay. Yeah. Those standards mostly. There you go. Yeah. But yeah, Martin Sheen, Dennis Hopper, and Marlon Brando were the characters that made the filming of this movie. Most interesting. But they got the movie casted. Marlon Brando, who is a huge star from uh, being in The Godfather, is pretty much just said, hey, you're only going to be filming for a few weeks here. And here's your like upfront payment of a million dollars. The stipulations are read the book and just be in really good shape because we want to kind of make the antagonist or like the, the Kurtz character of heart of darkness, the one who goes mad in the jungle. We want to make him this just almost Superman of just uh, this green beret who goes crazy Mm -hmm. and is just worshiped and is kind of just like this living God type of character. Okay. So casting a set. So he didn't do those things. Well, that well, Marlon Brando's. Uh, well, it doesn't sound like he needed to read a script. He only needed to read the book. Yes, so. I think yeah, that was pretty much it. Because I think part parts of the script were still being worked on and hashed out. But that four weeks that Marlon Brando would be filming would not come up for uh, something like a year and a half later Oof. or something because that sixteen week uh, filming period. Did not work out because first thing that went wrong is that they lost most a lot of their sets and equipment when a typhoon rolled in uh, shortly into shooting that destroyed uh, a ton of what they had already put together and 
went on for just months like the the filming location was just uh unusable they didn't like check the almanac before they booked it they were like wow the rates are so good right now this was the 70s i don't know for whatever reason they had not anticipated this and had not been told by anyone living on the (laughs) so i don't know if it has if it was a disproportionately bad season or whatnot but in either case they've already recasted they had to then kind of re reorganize in in, uh, California and just say, all right, well, we're already starting to fall behind budget and we're already uh, months behind production. So what are we going to do? So they double down and they go back and they start filming again. And you know what else caused delays in filming? When the Philippines need to use their military equipment (laughs) for domestic and foreign issues. (laughs) So that was another delay they hit, where they would just be like, okay, uh, we're lending you these boats and helicopters. Uh, nope. We, we, need uh, that. we need that right now. We got a federal war. Hey. Oh, that's when you wish that there were closer ties between the movie industry and the U.S. government so yeah. that you could call up people and be like, um, can you take care of this little war so we can use some of this military equipment? Well, here, no, actually, that's the funny part. Like, the... Uh, there were rumors that the U.S. government was kind of doing everything they can to make it difficult because they assumed it was going to be an anti-war. Uh, <laughs> I guess the Vietnam War wasn't great. Uh, so they immediately <laughs> assumed that this movie was not going to be uh, pro-Vietnam War. <laughs> and that's why I, I believe that went into the decision to film in the Philippines because they couldn't get either the U.S. government to lend out equipment to film it yeah so that's another thing that went horribly wrong so what was the thing that the philippines had to deal with uh i i didn't read too much into whatever conflict they were dealing with at the time but uh, occasionally they would just it didn't seem like it was a major like nothing about what i did read seemed like it was a huge like global offensive thing it it seemed like it was more of like on a maybe they needed the military to help clean up after the typhoon somewhere yeah or like coast kind of like duties we would probably associate with the coast guard things like that just whatever reason they're like we need these boats we need these helicopters and so that's more problems other problems included martin sheen and dennis hopper all right so two vices here one is alcohol one is cocaine which one do you think dennis hopper was i don't know who dennis hopper is I Dennis don't Hopper either. from Super Mario Bros. King Koopa. I don't remember what he looks like. Oh my god. He I looks think, like a dinosaur. I, I think this is a trick question and it's a little bit of both for both. I think it's I think it's a real Donnie and, and Marie situation. One's a little bit country, one's a little bit rock and roll. Max is closer. Uh if country means alcohol, then that's Martin Sheen, and if rock and roll is cocaine, that is Dennis Hopper. Uh, because by all accounts, the easiest guess is no guess at all. The, <laughs> no, you, Donnie and Marie Osmond, it. It was good. It was beautiful. Oh, I, I didn't. Um, yeah, yeah. I said but, that one likes one and the other likes the other. <laughs> but yeah, it was just it was such a strenuous schedule, like filled with delays and just filled with like, how are we going to pull this together? That Martin Sheen, who I think already kind of had problems with alcohol pre filming don't look at me i don't know i don't know i don't want to circulate any rumors but he, go on he apparently just go on. let's start some rumors okay, yeah he was just drunk from day one no uh <laughs> he just had this drinking problem that the director was like oh this is good this is kind of showing this madness of the <laughs> vietnam war so they did not do anything to uh 
They just to... they encouraged his drinking problem. Yeah. Yeah, they discouraged they or sorry, they encouraged all vices across the board. For spoilers, <laughs> for Marlon Brando, the super cut rough and cut uh beret it was food. Um Dennis Hopper is cocaine, Martin Sheen is alcohol. So they just yeah, in quite a sort of irresponsible way really were just like yeah. This is good. Man, th- this is going to this is going to calm them down and really get them in that headspace of Nothing slowly like going like cocaine to calm you down. <laughs> yeah, it's I know that whenever I'm having a panic attack, I turn to good old reliable cocaine. <laughs> well, I'm going to speaking of panic attacks, uh Francis Coppola at this time has an epileptic seizure for two events that A, Martin Sheen under the stress has a heart attack. And rather than uh, notify whatever, I think, actors union or or whoever he should have reported that to, he just said he had heat stroke. (laughs) And then Coppola also, they are so over budget right now that he pretty much staked his entire wealth on this movie succeeding. On top of the 12 to 14 million initial budget that they were able to raise, he had to front 30 million of his own property. Like, so everything that he had gotten uh had made off the godfather movies and just he put everything into this production like on a like just being like well gotta triple down now <laughs> we've got actors they're they're drugged up typhoons destroying everything heart attacks and did somebody mention dead bodies no, you just did though. Oh shit. Let's talk about the props department. Oh god. <laughs> because so near the end of filming, the climax of the movie and conclusion sort of take place in this temple. I don't think it was a religious site, but the place that they had, I guess, requisitioned from the Philippine government to film at just had a lot of trash. It was kind of messy. They f- were finding dead rats and apparently one of the production managers was just like ah clean this place up but there's dead rats and someone by by accounts said boy wait till he hears about the bodies mm. so he goes into the prop bodies shop, bodies and the, the prop shop has just like a dozen cadavers that they had gotten from some local guy who had then turned out was a grave robber because in in the movie the the temple is is kind of uh decorated ornated it, it's got dead bodies around it to mm-hmm. kind of say hey maybe this place so they got actual be. dead bodies they got actual dead bodies until the cops came and took the dead bodies away and because they didn't know where the dead bodies had come from yet they confiscated a ton of the prop department's passports <laughs> until they figured out that this local grave robber had dug up all these bodies and been You're like, not going home until Mr. Bones does. Yeah, so But why who who like who signed for the package, you know? Like who said, okay, yeah, just put them in the corner? Film film accountants, Let they they know how to... What it's not like a bodies real dead body? decay. Well, a real dead body would be more expensive than a dummy, I would assume. Yeah, real dead bodies are hella expensive, unless the person who's selling them to you doesn't know how expensive they are. Mm. Well, I think the person had presented themselves that they were someone who Fixes would sell problems? cadavers to medical schools, oh, things like that. Geez. And so oh. it was just like, hey, I've got a... Okay, so Sunny's they discount corpses. So they were in the market for real dead bodies. It's not they, like they were swindled uh, into, I think it tricked was into buying up to them bodies. and someone who was able to someone high enough to get it approved in the budget made it so. <laughs> um, 
I don't know whether they would have used the bodies or not. They got confiscated. We'll never know. I, I think they actually used a combination of dummies and very still actors for that scene. Okay. So. I wonder what the censor line is. Like, you wouldn't show a whole dead body in a movie, maybe. You wouldn't show a whole real dead body. But, like, how much of it could you show before they were like, you can't, can't do that? I don't know. I I know that they were sort. Of, I think the the Animal Humane Society um, stepped in for humans. S- no, they stepped in for the <laughs> on film live slaughtering of a cow for <laughs> part of the movie. Like, hmm. not prop works. Not yeah. They just killed a cow for a scene that I assume could only have been one take. Uh, <laughs> like how they kill an elephant in the Holy Mountain. What is what? This is a movie where they, they you know, part of it is an elephant gets killed on, on screen. Hmm. Oh. Blood everywhere. Not sure if they really kill the elephant, but it's convincing. It's definitely a real elephant. Yeah. It's a pretty good movie. And that elephant's family never forgot. Can't say I understand the movie. But it was pretty good. I'm pretty sick right now. <laughs> Okay. Well, I think listeners can tell I'm going on wild tangents and Max is just like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just going, mm. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> you heard about this thing? You know how warm I feel? <laughs> it's Let's... like my brain is cozy from my fever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm warm from the inside. You ever have a fever dream? But being awake? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, Marlon Brando, who's kind of been out of the out of the uh, picture for the most part, is just still on his contract. He was going to make three and a half million off this movie, which was super high at the time, especially that he only had to do a few weeks of filming right yeah. at the end. So he's um, he's been in Vietnam this whole time. No, okay, no, he no, he's been in the U.S. just kind of waiting for the hey, head on over. Um, okay, okay, okay. And so there's a lot of rumors about it. So. To dispel some of the popular ones, there were rumors that, A, he never read the book, which is not true. He had. Some people, uh, for some reason, I just... When he got there, there there were rewrites and reshootings and kind of uh, discussions about what the character should be like that people had misinterpreted that he just showed up one day, uh, 300 pounds, and not having read the book, so just shattering both of his... his uh, what he had been asked for in the role. Um, he was also not 300 pounds, but he had put on weight. He was some way, like he was somewhere in the mid to upper 200s that they were like, okay, we're going to reimagine this character. He's not this hardened, muscular, godlike, uh, uh, green beret. He's more of a paunchy God figure. Who's just been basking in luxury Mm, out of like his station. So they had to just take a lot of like sudden and very drastic changes and in character interpretations to just at this point make it work and keep Francis Coppola out of the poorhouse. Like they have to re they had previous scenes that were like, oh my gosh, have you heard about how many men he killed with one hand? And it's like, did you hear how many cookies he ate? <laughs> this is a recut and redub those words. <laughs> I heard he ate a whole panther. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah, you can make him eat tough stuff. Yeah, yeah, Panthers. Yeah. yeah. Panthers. Um, bull- villagers. Bullets. But 
Brando was hard to work with. Uh, Wait, can you say mem- that sentence again? Brando was hard to work with. He couldn't memorize his lines. He refused to film with Dennis Hopper, like wow. coked up. Yeah, <laughs> Dennis Hopper. The, they so they had to shoot their Dennis uh, Hopper, the coked up frog. Yeah, so they had to shoot their scenes together on alternating days <laughs> and just just splice it together. I uh, no, I think you know the trick of just like having someone like in frame but like just with the corner oh. like so they're just like yeah, the, right, the real that, parent trap thing get that fat <laughs> yeah. t-grip and make him make him do yeah. it oh that's funny mm. so like how they finished filming plan 9 from outer space yeah yeah the lead died mm. yeah villain, Bella Lugosi Bella Lugosi died and they replaced him with the director's wife's dentist yeah did they look alike? No. No, the dentist was like, uh, probably like... He was like, just a guy who happened to be there that day. No, the, the dentist was legit like 8 to 10 inches taller and probably about 70, 80 pounds heavier. Like, the guy was massive. Why'd they pick him? I I don't know. He was affordable. They they really, they literally had him in the movie just hold the cape over his face almost the whole time. So they, I think they try to get the hair as close as possible, but <laughs> the size and face considerations are just like, ah, just make him yeah. like this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they didn't let, so he didn't, didn't film the scenes. The magic together. of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, uh, there are other fun, crazy anecdotes about this filming um, that like, Francis Coppola literally when asked what the movie was about quoted as uh, it's not about the Vietnam War it is the Vietnam War um, when Martin Sheen was uh, sick via heat stroke his brother not Emilio Estevez's father um, Milo that, Estevez that is Emilio Estevez's father is also Emilio Estevez is uh, Sheen oh it's him Emilio what? Estevez is his son isn't he uh, no, Joe Estevez. Oh. So Martin Sheen and Joe Estevez are brothers. Um, and then Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez are... Cousins? No, but they're... I, I think they're half-brothers? Same mom? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't. I, I don't know enough about their family dynamics to make... Okay. We're uh, just going to wildly speculate that yeah, they are somehow uh, related in a family tree shaped like but, a diamond. Yeah, so like... Joe Estevez stood in for Martin Sheen for parts of the movie for, I think, voice and acting to uh, uh, let his brother recover from heat stroke. So it was just a film that was, you know, obviously the documentary gets into much more kooky times. But for what it was worth, yeah, the movie was over budget by $30 million, over time by year, maybe, all in all. And then spent two years in the editing process with Francis Coppola, like telling his wife, like, there's only a 20% chance I can pull this movie. <laughs> I'm sorry you had to hear about this, honey, about the ruination of our lives. But then, you know, when it got released, it, um, I, I don't, I mean, Francis Coppola is still alive. And I, I don't know, like, what he made back or what he might have lost in doing the movie beyond, like, his sanity. But yeah, I mean, uh, at the time, it was, you know, really heralded by just its depiction. Like, it's just kind of very strange, unusual depiction that, like, kind of departed from a lot of other films. It was very kind of fantastical, yet real, yet something no one, yet so unique in that no one had ever seen anything like it before that 
you know, in today's world, it has like this kind of not just a cult status, like regarded as a, one of the best uh, Vietnam era made movies, but the insanity and lack of regulations and lack of responsibility and filming it were truly heinous, heinous. A, yes. A heart of darkness. Oh, fuck. <laughs> and they truly were. Apocalypse now. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, so that's it. Oh. I don't know if this is actually about the Vietnam War. It's when you just, uh, at one point, you just stop filming and you're like, well, I declare victory and move on and just go back to the United States. That's about the Iraq War. Oh, darn. I knew it was a war. Except they stayed there. Anyway, I gotta watch that movie. I actually haven't seen it. Apocalypse Now? Yeah. I, I mean, it's like one of those ones that I'm just like, every time, like, there's some time I'm like, man, do I really have the three hours to carve out for this? Because... No. It's a long one. But. Yeah. Sometimes I think about rewatching Hot Fuzz. Because I really love that movie, but it's also like two and a half hours. I'm like, I don't got the time for that. I'll just have my memories. So I've been reading a book. I just finished it yesterday. It's called The True Story of a Pioneer Woman, Trials of the Earth. It's a true memoir of this woman named Mary Mann Hamilton. And her life in the 18... She was born in 1866 and died around um, 1936. And it's just an accounting of her life in Arkansas, Missouri, that sort of area. Her life as a pioneer and like a homesteader, one of the first people to colonize the American West. And she was also one of the first women because she went with her husband and he was essentially like a logger, like he would run logging outfits and like organize the guys coming and arrange the building of the railroad ties that they were cutting down the trees for, that sort of thing. He reminds me of a contemporary like person planning a like a baseball field trip for his <laughs> local community. I don't know. It's clearly not like it's this one's clearly lower stakes, but that's the imagery I've just found. It's like, okay, I got the tickets for the game. We're gonna fill up the bus. It's gonna be mostly guys, uh, a few women, maybe a few children, and we're gonna go there and we're gonna watch a movie on the way down. I've got it all planned out. You can add a slightly more interesting backstory and you'll have a similar similar setup because he was escaping some sort of family disagreement that he had with his wealthy, well-to-do family in England and like had shed his new persona and was a mystery man, essentially. And it was uh, the past. So she couldn't Google him and she had no idea who he was and he back, refused to tell her. Back when you could just become someone new, become yes. a man of mystery. I have two left hands. So how are they going to force me to write? Huh? How about that, idiot? <laughs> yeah. But he was literally like, uh, Mary, I'm not going to tell you who I was or what my real name is or whatever. I just want you to know that you really are my only legal wife. I was never married before. And that's it. That's all he promised her. Nothing else about what his previous life was. Just that he wasn't married before, so it wouldn't be illegal for them to get married. There's and that that's true? it. There's, Who knows? Because he's a mystery man and there was no internet in the past. There's blood on these two left hands. A lot. He had two left hands? No, I mean, I was trying to make the backstory for the, oh. the guy getting Yankee trips organized. <laughs> so he was he was all right then? <laughs> no, no, he was all left. Oh. Damn it, it would have worked if he had two right hands. Mm. Max, you're so sick. I'm so sick. You know, I'm always amazed by how recently pioneer times were and how concurrently they were with some fairly, you know, it can comparison advanced standards of living. Whereas the pioneers were living in like wooden houses and mm -hmm. 
shitting into their hands. Like, a lot of people at indoor plumbing and electric lighting. You know, you could probably meet somebody who had spoken, spoken with somebody who grew up in pioneer times now. So we, are like we, your grandfather, were you, grandfather. Sorry, were you drawing the contrast between at that time, like how, how many amenities that like cities had versus? Oh any, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, like uh, Boston, for example, at that time had a great many amenities: gas lights, plumbing, buildings that were taller. They were able to make landfill and all sorts of things. But you know, pioneers were really looking at looking at deer straight in the eye for entertainment and seeing if they could see themselves, listening to bird song and trying to pick up radio waves on it. Yeah, it's interesting because they're really roughing it in this book. And then at one point, um, they talk about this family who had moved out there much yeah. earlier, yeah. and they were the rich family who had gotten like their pick of land or whatever. And it was like, and they got a phonograph, yeah. and the whole time was like, wow, there is nothing approaching the. Then these people were contemporaries with Isabella Stewart Gardner, for example. Yeah, you know? yeah. They're, they're like, there's nothing in this account that would make you think that there was any sort of luxury, like a phonograph, anywhere near them. But yeah, even in the same time so, period. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. really interesting to see that juxtaposition. I was like, wow, I didn't realize. You think they're just out there, just slapping horses in the face to see what happens? Pretty much. But they've got phonographs. Mm-hmm. So let me tell and that you. That means one. they've got jazz. Well, probably not jazz. Probably big band music to listen to. Maybe. Probably some Sousa marches. No, it really is interesting <laughs> to think about. Yeah. yeah. So her role in a lot of this was to help run, was to basically run mm-hmm. the boarding house and do all the cooking for the crews mm-hmm. um, and the people who were living in the boarding house in the boarding camp. Mm-hmm. So at one point she, in the memoir, she gives a recipe, a very rough sketch recipe of something called boarding house hash. And I was like, that seems like that could be a fun little aside for anachronismo of the history of boarding house hash, like what is it made of or whatever. So I went to Googling it today to see if there was any more interesting backstory. And I found a link to a New York Times article from 1906 that in the most matter of fact way described a boarding house where 36 people ate the boarding house hash and then all immediately had. Yeah. What? Or they didn't they didn't die, but it was like they are all having violent reactions and are vomiting and none are expected to recover. And that was it. That was the end of the article. It wasn't like we're going to look into if there was something tainted in the food or the cook is under suspicion or these men all worked for this guy with this huge rival or something. Nothing. It just ended right there. 36 people. No one expected to recover. Damn. No more information. Sometimes you eat boarding house hash and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and make it in this world, and other times you die mm-hmm. mysteriously with no investigation. Mm-mm. Open shut case. Mm-hmm. And then the next article on this in the New York Times was an article that was very long compared to this nothing article of all these people dying in intestinal distress that recounted four situations where Native American children who were being uh, re-educated, I guess, Mm -hmm. at a residential school didn't laugh when funny things happened. The whole article was just recounting how they don't laugh when funny things happen, but then they'll laugh about it later. And I was very confused about what constitutes news in... 1906. It's really weird standards, but it's also weird standards for what constitutes news today. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. 
That's just imagining it more like a like a talk show host monologue and just there's no frames of reference and so later they're laughing it's like what was he talking about who is who is jerry grover lewis? cleveland who is jerry lewis grover cleveland oh. i don't know yeah. but that was my fun little old newspaper that was a fun um, yeah. rabbit hole that yeah. i went through today yeah i'm digging it so we may never know the history of boarding house hash. I suspected why it killed so many people. people. A silent killer. I suspect it was just a food that they made because it was made of things that were easily available and you could incorporate leftovers into it. Like the, the, the people who had died at the boarding house the week before in a Mm -hmm. vicious cycle of just like, well, yep. You just chop them up, mix them with some um, soup stock, dry it out and put it in the oven. I'm sure that, Hash is still not digested. They they wouldn't have had time before they died. Yeah. It's still good. More hash going. Cooking up some hash. <laughs> All of this <laughs> reminds me of... Um, hey. So recently, my, my college, or Sinus College, sent out uh, postcards for us to, to former students uh, with the Berman Art Museum, which is the college art museum on the front, to ask us to share our Berman memories to celebrate the museum's 30th anniversary. Oh. And I've been, I went to some nice art shows there. I would sometimes gonna go there and look at the various things they had on display. But the Berman memory that came to mind was one time there was an art, you know, art showing there and there was a big, you know, big event. And they had all these like catered platters of sandwiches and drinks and things like that. I went and then I went and had a nice time and the event came to a close and many of the platters of sandwiches were just untouched and they were mm-hmm. huge huge platters of sandwiches cut like piled high and uh i was like can i take one of these and the caterer was like you can take all of them if you want <laughs> so i took this giant platter of sandwiches back to my dorm room i put them in my fridge and lived off them for like the next two weeks mm-hmm. by the end they were getting pretty rotten <laughs> but i still ate them and eventually I had to throw them all out and I like tried to share them. I didn't feel good about you know sharing about sharing rotten about, sandwiches. I didn't feel, you didn't good, feel good about sharing the letting food. them go to waste and having some money. But like it's weird when people when you offer people like a found sandwich, like they are reluctant to take it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what that story reminded me of. Like if you see a bottle of liquid <laughs> anywhere, <laughs> even if it doesn't look like the seal's been broken at all, no one is touching that. Like, ne- like there's this weird thing of like any time, mm. or at least from my experience, like maybe I'm, maybe other people have those have have different standards, but like there's never been a bottle full of liquid. Where I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that. One time I was walking down the street and there was a, in the middle of the street there was a plate, and on the plate there was a chicken sandwich that was completely untouched. I swear to God, I looked around like I was on some kind of hidden camera show, like it was some sort of test. <laughs> yeah, there was some. See, there was who, like a, who will eat this street sandwich? Because it's not touching the ground. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. on a plate. And there's like a string tied to it with a giant <laughs> man-sized box. I, it. I looked for one. I was certain. I didn't end up eating the sandwich. And you're still thinking about it. <laughs> you day. picked it up and took it home, but ultimately decided not to eat it. Uh, no, no, I didn't. I didn't touch. It could it. be a hidden camera. I, I, I'd grown since my college days. <laughs> Another time, I was at Improv Boston, and they had these big trays of wings, and I was in grad school, and I was like, "Free food," and I'm poor. <laughs> Don't mind if I do. I said all those things out loud. Mm-hmm. And then again, at the end, like, you know, it wasn't even the end of the night, but I was like, I had to go. 
I had befriended a comedian who was there, and I was like, hey, man, listen, you don't know me that well. I'm going to take this whole tray of wings home. Do with that information what you will, but I'm doing this, and I would appreciate it if you don't narc on me. He's like, And the party wasn't over? No. And he's like, I got you. And he spread his coat in front of me and hid me so I could steal this whole tray of wings. And that man is a hero. Wow. Can we know off air who it was? I don't remember. I think I'm friends with him on Facebook. Ah, okay. Never mind. Yeah. Cool. That's yeah. A good story. Yeah. Another time. <laughs> That's going to do it for Anachronismo. <laughs> I'm Max. I'm Jackie. I'm Noel. And this has been Anachronismo. With fevers. <laughs> I'm running a pretty high fever. Uh, no, I'm probably. Now we're all sick. Yeah. <laughs> Brought to you by Make Fun Network.